I'm going to preach forever today. It's just, there's no chance I'm going to be on time. We've got four weeks to make up for. We are back in this season. I am the resurrection and the life. We're, we're walking through the seven I am statements of Jesus. The book of John is built on this narrative of seven I am statements. And this is the one. This is the one today where it all meets the peak of the mountaintop. Once it hits here, it's all downhill. And this is the one that really the entire message of the book of John can be built upon, right? So today, we climb the mountain to the top, and Jesus declares, I am the resurrection and the life. Ready to jump in? I'm the only one excited, I guess, to be back, but I'll, 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 we'll go. Here we go. Uh, John 11, 1 through 15. This is a man named Lazarus was sick. He lived in Bethany with his sisters, Mary and Martha. This is the Mary who later poured expensive perfume on the Lord's feet and wiped them with her hair. Her brother Lazarus was sick, so the two sisters sent a message to Jesus telling him, Lord, your dear friend is sick. But when Jesus heard about it, he said, Lazarus' sickness will not end in death. No, catch this. It happened for the glory of God so that the Son of God will receive glory from this. That's really important. We'll come back to it. Verse 5. So although Jesus loved Martha, Mary, and Lazarus, he stayed where he was for the next two days. Finally, he said to his disciples, let's go back to Judea. But his disciples objected. Rabbi, they said, only a few days ago, the people in Judea were trying to stone you. Are you going there again? Verse 9, Jesus replied, there are 12 hours of daylight every day. During the day, people can walk safely. They can see because they have the light of this world. But at night, there is danger of stumbling because they have no light. Verse 11, then he said to them, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but now we will go and wake him. The disciples said, Lord, if he is sleeping, he will soon get better. Verse 13, they thought Jesus meant Lazarus was simply sleeping, like literally asleep, but Jesus meant Lazarus had died. Verse 14, so he told them plainly, Lazarus is dead. And for your sakes, I'm glad I wasn't there. Catch this again. For now, you will really believe. Come, let's go see him. The narrative continues on. They begin their travel. And as they travel, we'll pick back up in verse 17. When Jesus arrived at Bethany, he was told that Lazarus had already been in his grave for four days. Now, that's really important because in Jewish burial custom, it was four days before someone was pronounced dead, dead. Like, you could be dead and then asleep for a while and then wake up again, but like we're talking Louisiana, broke, broke, dead, dead, like you ain't dead, dead until it's been four days. Then you're dead, dead, all right? You're not dead, you're dead, dead. So this is what it meant. He said, this has been four days. He was saying he's really dead, 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 right? <clears throat> what am I saying? <clears throat> Bethany was only a few miles down the road. Other people came to him. Okay. Jesus was there. He was told that Lazarus had been in the grave for four days. Bethany was only a few miles down the road from Jerusalem, and many of the people had come to console Martha and Mary in their loss. When Martha got word that Jesus was coming, she went to meet him, but Mary stayed in the house. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if only you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now, I know that God will give you whatever you ask. Jesus told her, your brother will rise again. Yes, Martha said, he will rise when everyone else rises at the last day. Are you ready? Yeah. 
John 11, verse 25, Jesus told her, I am the resurrection and the life. Anyone who believes in me will live even after dying. Everyone who lives in me and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? Martha, there is something really, really important that we covered in verses 4 and 15, and it's this. Miracles are a sign of God's glory that lead to belief. Have to understand this. What did he say at the very beginning? He said, no, it happened. Why did this happen? Lazarus' sickness. It happened so that the glory of God would be, that God would receive glory from this. What did he say down in verse 15? For now you will really believe. Miracles are a sign of God's glory that should lead to belief. That is the, the most important thing we can cover from this. God is doing a miracle as a sign that he wants to lead to belief. As many of you know, man, has it been a month? It's been a month. A month ago, uh, we had our son, Ezra. And uh, April 19, it's his birthday, and he was, we, we, Anna started having contractions in the middle of the night. We head to the hospital. She had the best delivery that she's had yet of all four of our children. This one was incredible. It went great. Uh, I caught the, well, I kind of caught the baby. I, I, like, I, I bailed last minute, got, got scared, got spooked, but I was, I was there. I caught his head, and then his body kind of fell, and then I just gently set him down. I was like, I did it, you know? Like, <laughs> Just glad to be a part, glad I could help, you know, and so we have the baby, and, and he's, he's here, and, um, and many of you know we had this, uh, these, this blood work done that said that there was trisomy 21, which is Down syndrome, there were markers in Anna's blood, and Anna has, the baby's here, baby's put on Anna's chest, she looks at him, looks up at me, we looked at each other, and she said, he does, and I said, yeah, he does, and she said, we're going to be good. I, I I remember then we started what was an hour of what they call the golden hour, right? That's skin to skin, baby's on mom, he's sitting there. Everything is so beautiful right now, right? It's so glorious. She's sitting there, baby's quiet, he's good. Like when you have a baby with Down syndrome coming there, they're extremely medically fragile. There were all kinds of things leading up through full body scans and everything else from kidney to heart to brain to everything else. And we're sitting there and we're holding this baby and he's good. And this joy and this peace and this excitement enters the room. And then after the first hour, they said, hey, it's time for us to do our full body check now. So we'll take him. And they take him and they set him down in this warmer and they start looking all over him and we're just man we're so excited we're just thrilled it's it's here and it's happening we're rejoicing and we're praying and we're thanking God and then all of a sudden the nurse practitioner looked over at me she looked back down at the baby and then she left the room and I mean in a moment I felt in my spirit something's wrong Something is wrong right now. She goes, comes back in with another nurse practitioner and a doctor, and they're standing over there, and they're examining him, and then they turned to me, and Anna was in the restroom at the time, and they, they looked at me, and they said, um, your son has an imperforated anus, and you have to go downtown for emergency surgery right now. They said, this is major, this is critical, we have no time to waste, you have to go. For those of you that don't know what that is, that means there was, there was no hole in his bottom. So they walked me over, they lifted up his legs, 
spread his little cheeks, sorry, it's too much, but, um, and it was, there was nothing there. I, I saw, listen to me, I saw it with my own eyes. I saw it with my own eyes. I looked, and it wasn't there, and in, in children with Down syndrome, that is a really, really, really bad sign. That is a sign that usually the rest of the gastrointestinal tract is not formed. There's either no stomach or no stomach, no intestine, nothing connecting. It is, it is I'll tell you how bad it was. So uh, they all leave and I go follow our midwife out of the room. She's been doing it for 40 years. She's been delivering babies. And I went to her and I said, hey, uh, have you seen this before? And she said, in 40 years, I've seen it one other time. And I said, what were, what were the results of that one? And she said, we don't want to compare. And I said, okay. Went back in the room, told my wife, who was, who was shaking in fear, um, that we got to leave. We got to go. And so I hop on an ambulance, and I'm riding on an ambulance. I'm leaving my wife, who is distraught and in deep pain, forcing them to discharge her from the hospital. I'm begging her to not do that yet. I mean, she's three hours from having a baby. She's like, I am out of here. Discharge me now. I'm getting on an ambulance. My son is in this tube with more cables on him than are on this stage. And then we're riding downtown in the ambulance, and I pin a text message, and I shot it off to just everyone I saw in my contacts. I just said, hey, emergency prayer. We need emergency prayer right now for a miracle. We need a miracle like we've never seen before we need God to do a miracle would you join us in prayer so we get downtown we arrive we walk in and there is an entire surgical team and they are ready and they are prepared for surgery the surgeon is scrubbing in and he's getting ready for surgery surgical assistant comes over and she's going to do the the examination before uh, the baby goes into surgery and so she has Ezra right there and he's laid down they take off this tube they start removing all of this stuff and then they, she opens his diaper pulls it back and it is full of poop right I've never been so excited in my life I was like I was like wait whoa, 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 whoa. and, and the, the surgical assistant looked at the travel nurse that was on the ambulance and said to the travel nurse in perforated anus right and the travel nurse was like yeah yeah that's what we brought him down here for and she turns the diaper and shows her and it's full of poop and she's like, no way. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, it's a miracle. I, I just start saying that over and over. It's a miracle. It's a miracle. I know it's a miracle. The miracle of poop, right? And so then this doctor comes in, and uh, by the way, I, I don't want to sound, he, he was cynical, and it was funny, and it, he was very, very kind and very, very gentle and everything else, but you could tell he was cynical. He, he came in, he's like, let me, let me see the miracle, you know, baby, let's, let's see what we got here, right? And by the way, everybody from the hospital to downtown women's hospital and everything else, just incredibly professional, wonderful, wonderful, wonderful people. So doctor walks in, he says, uh, let's see the miracle, right? And so he, he lifts Ezra's legs up and he's got this tool and he starts poking around. Ezra poops all over him, just all over his hand. He's like, oh, 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 there's more, there's more. And then he looked at me and he said, you know, it's pretty hard not to deny that this was a miracle. We were just, thank you, Lord. So then we go and yeah, yes. So then we go and we have an echo done of his heart because a lot of children with Down syndrome have challenges with their heart and they find a hole in one of the arteries 
of his heart. So another emergency text goes out. Guys, we got to pray. Uh, we need this hole to close. Seven days later, they did an echo on his heart, and there was no hole in his heart. And we saw another miracle happen, right? So, um, and just on and on and on, it felt like this floodgate of miracles. I love what John Wimber says. He was a revivalist in California, and they were doing all the Azusa Street revivals, and he said, we prayed for thousands to get healed, and nobody got healed. He said, and then we got one. And he said, after we got one, we prayed for thousands to get healed, and thousands were healed. It felt like we prayed for one miracle, and then this floodgate of miracles opened, and it just started falling on everything from kidneys looked okay to a hole in his body to no hole in his body. One of my mentors said, he said, I am praying. I believe the same God who put a hole on Ezra's body can close a hole on Ezra's body. And that was our prayer. And God closed the hole. And it was just, it's been, I'm telling you, I've been on the wild side of Christianity for a while. I've been to Baton Rouge, Louisiana, Benny Hinn live. It don't get crazier than Baton Rouge and it don't get crazier than Benny Hinn. And I was there in the room, right? Like, I've seen, I've never seen anything like this. Guys, I, I, I'm telling you, I saw it with my own eyes. He lifted his legs up. There was nothing there. And now there's something there. I, Anna and I agreed we'll never complain about changing a poopy diaper again. We'll do it with joy. We'll fight over who gets it. No, 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 it's mine. I, I want it. I want it. No, I, it's my turn, right? Let me tell you another story. It would have been early spring 2015. I, was, I had just graduated from the National Institute of Christian Leadership. I was in a suburban. I was on my way back with a group of pastors from Dallas to Houston. And on my way back, Anna called me, and, Anna sa- and she was very, very upset. And I said, what, what's going on? And she said, honey, they just told me Zion has autism. I said, What? She said, yeah, I, I wasn't even expecting it. They did this test called the MCHAT. It's the Modified Checklist for Autism and Toddlers. And, and she looked at me afterwards and said, you may want to reach out to a neurologist because uh, Zion was 7 out of 10. Anything over 3 is considered to have autism. And, and Zion scored very high on this. And we had seen, you know, when she turned 18 months, language had gone away, uh, eye contact had gone away, sensory and stemming issues that we had seen. But we, you know, I mean, first-time parents, we had no idea. And so we hear autism, and and I am telling you, from that day, that moment, seven and a half years ago, to this morning, in my chair, upstairs, in my office, every single day, I've asked God to do a miracle and heal, heal our daughter. Every day. Every day, Lord, would you do a miracle? Would you restore what is gone? Would you redeem what's been broken? Would you remove what has been placed in? Would you give clarity of mind? Would you fill her mouth with words? Would you lead her to her fullest potential, Lord? Would you heal this child by the power of the Holy Spirit with your miraculous hand? And I will tell you, um, we have seen God do a really, really incredible work in our daughter, but I will also tell you this, unless God intervenes and does an Ezra miracle in her, she will probably live with us or under the care of adults for the rest of her life. How do you balance that tension? How do you balance the tension of praying for seven and a half years for a miracle and not seeing it and praying for one hour and a floodgate of miracles enters into your life in such an unexplainable way? What do you do with that? How do you live that out? 
How do you sit on the same row with somebody who's been praying for a miracle and received it right next to someone who spent years praying for a miracle, same church, same faith, same God, and they don't have anything? This is, I am the resurrection and the life. This is what Jesus was saying. He was saying, in the tension of mourning to miracle, I fill in the gap. In the tension between having everything that we've prayed for and seeing a floodgate of the miraculous open and having none of it and still worshiping, still praying, still believing, still asking God, years in, no movement, in the middle of that tension, I am the resurrection and the life. If you believe in me, even if you die, you will live again. That's what Jesus is saying. He's saying, I am in the center of the tension of everything you've been praying for and don't have and everything you're praying for and it's falling from the sky in a miraculous fashion. Everything that you need, you long for, you look for and everything in between is the resurrection and the life. Now, in order to really navigate this, we have to align some theology about the miraculous really quick, okay? So let me walk you through a little theology when it comes to the miraculous, and then we'll walk back into the resurrection of life, four areas the resurrection of life jump into, okay? Uh, number one, Tyler Staten is a, is a pastor that I love. He says this, uh, miracles are a sign of the kingdom. Salvation is the substance of the kingdom, we cannot confuse those two. Listen, miracles are a sign of the kingdom. What did Jesus say, John chapter 11? That God would get glory from this, that you would see and believe. That this raising of Lazarus would be a sign that gives God glory and a sign that leads you to salvation. Miracles are a sign of the kingdom. Salvation is the substance of the kingdom. In Mark chapter 2, uh, there's some friends that bring a paralyzed man to Jesus, and when they drop him off, Jesus says to them, your sins are forgiven, and they question him about it. They say, how can you forgive sins? Listen to what Jesus says, Mark 2, 8 through 11. Jesus knew immediately what they were talking about, so he asked them, why do you question this in your hearts? Is it easier to say to the paralyzed man, your sins are forgiven, or stand up, pick up your mat, and walk? Verse 10, so I will prove to you I will give you a sign that the Son of God has the authority on earth to forgive sins. Then Jesus turned to the paralyzed man and said, stand up, pick up your mat, and go home. It was a sign. It was a sign to lead them to belief. It was a sign of the kingdom so that they would experience the substance of the kingdom, which is salvation. Hebrews chapter 2, 1 through 4. So, so we must listen very carefully to the truth we have heard. Or we may drift away from it, for the message God delivered through angels has always stood firm, and every violation of the law and every act of disobedience was punished. So what makes us think we can escape if we ignore this great salvation that was first announced by the Lord Jesus himself and then delivered to us by those who heard him speak? Verse four, and God confirmed the message by giving signs and wonders. Signs and wonders are a sign of the kingdom and they confirm the substance of the kingdom which is the message of salvation. And various miracles and gifts of the Holy Spirit wherever he chose. Another important thing is to understand, hey, look, if, 
if the substance of the kingdom is miracles, then we are placing an expectation on God to do what we long for, and if he doesn't, there's either something wrong with him or wrong with us. If the substance of our kingdom is the miraculous, if the substance of my kingdom is miraculous, then I'm 50-50. I'm walking, I'm walking in glory on one side of the kingdom, and I'm lost on the other side of the kingdom. The substance of the kingdom has to be salvation. The miraculous is a sign of it. Listen to Job, Job 1, 19 through 21. Suddenly a powerful wind swept in from the wilderness and hit the house on all sides. The house collapsed and all your children are dead. He's saying, Job, tornado swept in, killed your whole family. I am the only one who escaped to tell you. Job stood up, tore his robe in, in grief, then he shaved his head, fell to the ground to worship. He said, I came naked from my mother's womb, and I will be naked when I leave. The Lord gave me what I had, and the Lord has taken it away. Praise the name of the Lord. Job is declaring hope and worship in spite of a sign. Not because of it, but in spite of it. He is saying, sometimes you get it, sometimes you don't. Blessed is the name of the Lord. Now listen, we have no choice but to pray for healing. We're called to pray for healing. We're told to pray for healing. We have no choice but to pray for healing and to pray for the miraculous. But the substance of our kingdom has to be deeper than what we desperately want from God. It has to be deeper. After Jesus' resurrection, he, they, they go, Thomas wasn't there, the other disciples were, and they go to Jesus, and they, they see Jesus, and they go back and they tell Thomas, we saw the resurrected Lord, and Thomas says, I won't believe unless I can put my hands and the holes in his hand and my hand in the side. So John 20, John 20, verse 27 through 39, Jesus shows up to Thomas, and here's what he says, put your finger here and look at my hands. Put your hand into the wound in my side. Don't be faithless any longer. Believe. Verse 28, Thomas declares his belief. My Lord and my God. Now listen to verse 29. Then Jesus told him, you believe because you have seen me. Blessed are those who believe without seeing me. Wrap your mind around this for a second. Could it be that your blessing is not in what you see, but in what you haven't seen yet? Could your blessing be in a space where you've been walking through something, asking, is it, is it the thorn in the flesh of Paul? Is it the walking through praying for a miracle for seven and a half years and then praying for one hour and seeing it? Could it be that the greatest blessing that you're experiencing is the faith that you have while walking through the season of asking God for a miracle? You could be going through hell in here, praying for God to heal, to redeem, to restore, and over and over for years not seeing it. But if you're still worshiping, and you're still praying, and you're still meeting with God, and you're still in this place believing God for something, you're more blessed than we are. Because you got something we don't. It's a faith that can stand the trial of difficulty. It's a faith that can stand through the challenges. This is the kingdom. The kingdom is salvation. A sign of it 
is the miraculous. It's funny because we often make our relationship with God about what we want from him. We, we make it so much about what we want from him. But sometimes we need to stop and think, maybe God knows what I need more than I know. Maybe God knows a little more about what I need. Canaan and I were in Florida um, a, a month ago, and while we were there, he wanted to stay up all night. And I told him, we can stay up as late as you want, but I got to get up early in the morning. And he was like, oh, Dad, it's fine, it's fine. We stayed up late. I'm not like 12.30, 1 o'clock. He finally crashed out with, you know, gummy worms coming out of his mouth, and he's sideways on the pillow, and he fin- finally went out, right? So he's out, we fall asleep. In the morning, I wake him up. I'm like, Kanan, get up, we gotta go. It's 6.30 in the morning. He was so, t- he's like, oh, dad, I can't get up. Dad, I can't do it. I said, son, we gotta go. And he said, you let me stay up too late, dad. I said, you begged me for it. And he said, you should know better. <laughs> Maybe so. Can we live in a, in a season where we say, you know, as desperately as I want this and as desperately as I need this and as desperately as I believe it's God's will to do this, can I trust him if he doesn't? Can I trust that, man, maybe God, through the pain of this situation, through the difficulty of this situation, and the challenges that I'm walking through, you got a different blessing for me than giving me everything that I want? Maybe you have a deeper blessing for me than giving me everything that I want. So what do we do with this tension of the resurrection and the life? Because miracles are a sign of the kingdom. Salvation is the substance of the kingdom. Throughout this narrative in John, we see four different ways he enters into our, stu- and enters into our life. Through the resurrection and the life. Here's the first one. The resurrection and the life enters into our pain. I think we miss this part of the narrative. We over-celebrate Lazarus and undervalue the whole context of the situation. Listen to this, if you will. John eleven seventeen to 26 says, when Jesus arrived at Bethany, he, told, he was told that Lazarus had already been in the grave for four days. Bethany was only a, a few miles down the road from Jerusalem, and many of the people had come to console Martha and Mary in their loss. When Martha got word that Jesus was coming, she went to him, but Mary stayed at the house. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if only you had been here, my brother would not have died. Don't miss it because I am out of context. This was not, Lord, where were you? This was a woman who lost her dear close friend, uh, tragically falling at the feet of Jesus and screaming, where were you? Like, how did you not? This is a time of mourning and loss and pain. It's not as casual as we read it. What did it say that they came to do? They came to console Martha and Mary in their loss. But even now I know that God will give you whatever you ask. Jesus told her, your brother will rise again. Yes, Martha said, he will rise when everyone else rises at the last day. Jesus told her, I am the resurrection and the life. Anyone who believes in me will live even after dying. Everyone who lives in me and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? This was a time of incredible pain, of deep pain pain and loss, a pain that you cannot put into words. 
I've sat in the living room of a woman who lost her husband due to a tragic accident. I am talking. He, she kissed him goodbye in the morning and got a phone call in the afternoon that she would never see him again. And I remember walking into that living room and she was in so much pain and mourning she could not communicate, could not put together words. That's what we're talking about here. We're not talking a casual, oh God, I wish you'd have showed up, but now you didn't. Darn it, I'll see him in eternity someday. We are talking about a, a season of incredibly deep pain. And what does Jesus declare right into the center of this deep pain? I am the resurrection and the life. Listen to how he steps into our pain. Isaiah 53, 3. He was despised and rejected. A man of sorrows, acquainted with deepest grief. We turned our backs on him and looked the other way. He was despised and we did not care. Hebrews 4, 15. This high priest of ours understands our weaknesses. For he faced all of the same testings we do, yet he did not sin. Jesus has been in our pain. Jesus knows our deepest grief. Jesus knows our pain that is unspeakable in the moment. Jesus knows the things that hurt you so bad you can't come up with words in prayer to confess them to him. He knows the things that, you, that, that are hurting you so deeply you don't want anybody to ask you, hey, how's the pregnancy going? You, you run from that question. You avoid people for that question. You don't answer intentionally on social media for that question. That question of pain that just hits. So Jesus has been there. He's been there. And here's why that's important. One of the greatest sources of comfort and hope that my wife experienced walking through carrying a child and then giving birth to a child with Down syndrome was this Facebook group that uh, was for Down syndrome moms. And in the group, it is just a beautiful community of people who have all had children with Down syndrome. And as we were walking through this, you know, we got first news about his kidneys and a couple of soft markers and she would post it in that group and they would say, oh, we had the same thing. We walk through the same thing. We have the imperforated anus and she posts on there, we are desperate for prayer and someone says, we walk through the same thing. You're going to be okay. We're worried about what could, what could this mean medically when he's born and they, they call it being on the other side in the group. They're like, wait until you get to the other side. Once you get to the other side and you have the child in your arms, everything's going to be okay. We have a hole in the heart. And she's saying, uh, he's got a hole in an artery of his heart. And they're saying, so did mine. And they're posting a picture of him who's seven years old now laughing and playing and having a great time. And the, the comfort that came from this group was because of the fact that they had been there. It's going to be okay means a whole lot more from people who have been there. It's going to be okay is going to mean a whole lot more from people who have literally stood in your shoes, had the same diagnosis, lived through the same challenges, walked through the same dysfunction. It means so much more. That's what Jesus is saying. I am the resurrection and the life was a statement of him stepping into our pain and saying, I've been there. I know what you're going through. 
I'm acquainted with the deepest of grief. I have experienced every challenge, and yet I'm here. That's what the resurrection and life does. In the gap between mourning and miracle, he enters into our pain. He enters into our pain. That's why we can receive I am the resurrection and the life, whether you're praying for a miracle and you don't have it yet, or you're praying for something and it's already flooded your household. You can stand in joy. You can stand in life and peace and hope and excitement. Why? Because the resurrection and the life has been in your pain, and the answer is there is hope on the other side. There's hope on the other side. So the resurrection and the life enters into our pain. Here's the second one. This is wild to me. I told you I'm gonna preach forever, right? Let's just keep going. Here's where else the resurrection and life enters into. The resurrection and the life enters into our feelings. Enters into our feelings. Not just our pain, but what we're feeling. Listen to this. John 11, 27 through 36, the narrative continues. Yes, Lord, she told him. I've always believed you're the Messiah, the Son of God, the one who has come into the world from God. Then she returned to Mary. She called Mary aside from the mourners and told her, the teacher is here and wants to see you. So Mary immediately went to him. Jesus had stayed outside of the village at the place where Martha met him. When the people who were at the house consoling Mary saw her leave so hastily, they assumed she was going to Lazarus' grave to weep. So they followed her there. So you have this woman and they say, Jesus is here to talk to you she takes off running out the door and everyone else is like oh no we better go with her and make sure that she's okay so they followed her there verse 32 when mary arrived and saw jesus she fell at his feet and said lord picture this moment lord if only you had been here if only you had taken the wheel of the car and moved it if only you would have been in the delivery room If only you would have been outside the pool. If only you would have been here. My brother would not have died. Listen to what Jesus does. When Jesus saw her weeping and saw the other people wailing with her, a deep anger, that's a poor translation, a deep emotion welled up within him and he was deeply troubled. Listen, verse 34 Where have you put him? He asked them. They told him, Lord, come and see. Verse 35, and Jesus wept. He wept. The people who were standing nearby said, see how much he loved him. This is amazing. We're talking about Jesus here. Jesus already said what he was going to do. Remember that? Very first part of the narrative we read? Lazarus is asleep, but we will go and wake him up. But what he meant was Lazarus was dead, and I'm going to go raise him to life. He literally told them, I'm going to go resurrect a dead man. Yet he gets in the moment, and when he's in the moment, they're weeping, they're crying. Look, if it were me, I'm an Enneagram 8. I would have been like, hey, dry those tears, watch this. What's up? Lazarus is here. He's alive. No, that's not what Jesus did. Watch this. Jesus was willing to feel them before he fixed them. 
Jesus was willing to feel what they felt before he fixed what they were walking through. He was willing to weep with them. He was willing to mourn with them. He was willing to cry with them. Listen, if, if we fix it before we feel it, we're probably not going to grow from it. A lot of times that looks like covering it up. I'll, I'll say the sorries, I'll go to the counseling, and I'll get the internet filter, and I'll do everything that I need to do, and I'll fix it, but I'll never feel it. And if we don't feel it, and all we do is fix it, we're not going to grow from it. It's not going to do something right here. Look, I grew up, when I was a kid, I was broke. Broke, broke. It's a Louisiana talk again. I wasn't broke, I was broke, broke. Like, no money. Like, my friends wanted to go to the movie theater one time, and I had $7 for the ticket, and it was 8 I was digging for change in the console of my mom's car. I found four quarters, went there, got the movie ticket, and then after I got the ticket, I had no money for popcorn. So all my friends went into the movie theater, and they got their snacks and everything. And when they were seated, I came back out, went to the trash, got an empty tub, went to the bathroom, put a little soap in there, washed it out, dried it out with paper towels, went and got the free refill. And after I got the free refill, went and sat with my friends and had popcorn so I could fit in with my friends because I had no money for the $3 popcorn. Like, I'm talking broke. Anything I wanted, I had to work a job to get it. I had to figure out a way to make some money to get it. Now, thankfully, praise God, those days are gone, right? Um, now that we have a comfortable budget, I'm not rich. Look, I got two kids with, in, still in diapers, man. I got four at home. Uh, the raises will come when all of them are gone, right? But now I don't have to do that. I don't have to live in that space, but can I tell you something? I still feel it. I still know what that feels like. Don't think I'm going to the movie theater and I'm not swinging by the dollar store first and buying dollar candy bars, putting them in Anna's purse and sneaking them in there because I ain't paying four bucks for a candy bar. Do I have the four dollars for a candy bar? Yes, but what I have felt has changed the way I fix what I felt about it as a kid has changed the way I fix it. Listen, we have to feel it before we fix it. When you feel it, feeling is a, it will ridiculously expand your empathy. I am the resurrection and the life was one of the greatest statements of empathy we could ever have. You hear me? A season of mourning, of crying, of weeping, of brokenness. And he says, I am the resurrection and the life. And even if he's dead, there's still hope. If you believe, we have to be willing to feel it. Why do trust fund kids who run around in a BMW and a $7 coffee and $200 leggings complaining about something annoy us to death? Welcome Woodlands people. No, I'm just kidding. Why does this drive us nuts? Why? They haven't felt it, right? They haven't felt the challenges, the grind, the difficulty. That's why it's so cringe. It's so cringe because you're like, you, you don't know what problems are. But when you feel them and then you fix them, it transforms you. Catch this. Confession is feeling it. Repentance is fixing it. You have to have both. Confession is saying, I see the depravity, brokenness, and disaster of my sin. I feel the weight of it. I carry it. 
and now I repent of it, and by the grace of God, I will change my life. Confession is feeling it. Repentance is fixing it. Maybe you're still walking in the same disaster you've been walking in for years because all you've been doing is fixing it and not feeling it. You don't feel the weight of your sin, you just figure out a way to fix it. Husbands, hear me. If all you ever do is fix her without taking a moment to feel her, she won't feel like you love her, she'll feel like your problem. She'll feel like she's your problem and that you're constantly fixing her, constantly fixing her without a moment of taking an opportunity when you know the solution. Do you think Jesus knew what he was gonna do? He said it. He told him what he was gonna do. But what did he do before he fixed it? He felt it. Here is the the foundation of a great apology. You want a great apology? Here is not a great apology. I'm, I'm sorry. My bad. Sorry I did that. Right? That's fixing it. Sorry, sorry, I'm I'm sorry. Here is a great apology. I understand and feel the weight of my words and how deeply they hurt you. And it hurts me that I hurt you like that. And I'm sorry. And I'm gonna do everything I can to fix that. You you feel the difference? (laughs) No pun intended. You feel that? Do you feel that? You have to feel it. What is Jesus doing when he weeps with them? He's feeling them. He's saying, I'm with you. In your mourning, I mourn with those who mourn. I feel you. I'm entering into your pain. I see where you're at. And I want you to know that I'm with you and I'm acquainted with the deepest of grief. Where does the resurrection and the life enter into? It enters into our pain, enters into our feelings, and then it enters into our miracle. John eleven forty through 44, Jesus responded. Remember, he asked the question, didn't I tell you that you would see God's glory and believe? What are miracles? They are signs that lead to belief. Verse 41, so they rolled the stone aside. Then Jesus, look at what Jesus does. Catch it. What happened just now? What happened just before that? I'll read it again. They rolled the stone aside. Then Jesus looked up to heaven and said, Father, thank you for hearing me. You always hear me, but I said it out loud for the sake of all these people standing here so that they would believe that you sent me. Then Jesus shouted, Lazarus, come out. And the dead man came out. His hands and feet were bound in grave clothes, his face wrapped in a headcloth. Jesus told them, unwrap him and let him go. Jesus is doing what we do as parents. I'll, I'll, I'll be downstairs in the kitchen with Anna. All the kids are bed and I'll, in bed, and I'll hear Canaan's door open, and I'll hear, and I'll say to Anna, man, I sure hope Canaan's not out of bed. Woo, I'm gonna have to give him a whooping, a bad one too. And I'll probably have to take away dessert tomorrow night, and Anna's like, oh yeah, and if he's out of bed again, he'll probably have to go to bed at 6 p.m. Here's what you hear. Door closes, right? Jesus is saying, (laughs) think about this. Jesus is doing a miracle and he presses pause. He says, roll the stone away. Everyone's looking at the stone. They're like, oh, I hope this works. What's gonna happen here? The stone is rolled away. There's this dark, empty hole where Lazarus was and they're on pins and needles and they're thinking, what's gonna happen? And Jesus says, wait. Father, let all these people here 
that I'm here because you sent me. What does he do right before the miracle? He says, Lord, let them see me. Lord, let them see me. Lord, I'm about to raise a dead man from the grave, but right before I do, and I'm just gonna say it to you, but it's not to you, it's for the sake of everyone around you, see me. Will you see me? How does the resurrection and the life enter into our miracle? It is to see Jesus. When I see Ezra, I see Jesus. When I see Drew walking around this place, I see Jesus. When I see some of you and know where you were to where you are now, it's a miracle. I see Jesus. I hear people say, I'm a walking miracle. Then every time you look in the mirror, you should see Jesus. That's what the resurrection and the life is. It is the greatest miracle of all time that saved us from our sin and should put all of our eyes on Jesus. That's what Jesus is saying. Lord, here's the miracle. Roll away the stone. Wait. Let them see me. Just let them catch a glimpse of me. I'll tell you, uh, yesterday, yesterday was a really hard day in our home. 5.30 a.m. after weeks of no sleep. My daughter's up, so I'm up. And then we're running around the house. Other kids wake up. And when they wake up crying, it's no good, right? You're just like, oh, it's going to be a hard day. And, and I'm telling you, at 5.30, I got annoyed, and I just didn't recover. I got annoyed. I was angry all day. I was frustrated. I was just, just you know, that nah, sinful side of me. Right? I was just frustrated, annoyed. I was tired. I was worn out. At the end of the night, all the kids are in bed at 8.30. So from 5.30 to 8.30, I mean, it was just a, a, a train wreck of chaos, right? People, kids were crying. Someone broke something. Someone broke another thing. Someone tried to pick up the baby. We don't know where the baby's at. All of a sudden, where'd Canaan go, right? Like, it's just crazy. So we put everyone down. I go up to my office to pray and to prepare. And I, I turn on my computer screen. My eyes burned so bad, I could not even look at the screen. I was so tired. So I was just sitting there. I was going like they're just rubbing my eyes. And as I'm rubbing my eyes, I'm thinking through in my mind the message. And I, and I got to this point, and I felt the Lord so gently nudge my spirit and say, did you see me today? Did you see me today? I know you've been annoyed. I know you've been frustrated. I know you're tired. But did you see me? You held Ezra. Did you see me? You put a bottle in his mouth. Did you see me? Zion got mud and threw it in the swimming pool and you went out and told her no ma'am and she said yes sir. That was a kid who the neurologist said may never speak. And she's saying yes sir to me. Did you see me? Isn't it amazing how the little chaos of the day to day can rob us of the visual of the greatest miracle I've ever experienced three weeks before that. That's what miracles are. They're signs so we see Jesus. So when you look at your marriage that you should have never had and you covet it and you're so thankful and you say, my marriage is a miracle, you should see Jesus. When you look at your child who ran away from the Lord and has come back to the Lord and worships next to you here at church, you should be saying, that's a miracle, which means I see Jesus. That's the visual of Jesus. Now, we, we have to wrap this up. Uh, the fourth way, this is the last part. The resurrection and the life enters into our worldview. This is so interesting. John 11, 45 through 48. Wouldn't you suspect that after something like all of this happened, they saw a dead man rise. 
wouldn't you expect them all to rally behind him and say, okay, we'll follow him to the ends of the earth. We would even be willing to die for him. Yet John 11, 45 through 48, many of the people who were with Mary believed in Jesus when they saw this happen, but some went to the Pharisees and told them what Jesus had done. Then the leading priests and Pharisees called the high council together. What are we going to do, they asked each other. This man certainly performs many miraculous signs. They're not denying it. They're not even denying it happened. They're like, this dude just raised a dead guy. Verse 48, if we allow him to go on like this, soon everyone will believe in him. Then the Roman army will come and destroy, look at what they're concerned about, destroy both our temple and our nation. Isn't that unreal? Rather than follow the miraculous, they were worried about losing their own kingdom. Rather than follow the sign that is so clearly in front of their face, they would rather say, "Eh, I really don't want to alter what I have going on right now. Feels really good. I'm, I'm okay with it. I'm comfortable with it. Look, I, I'm, I, I don't mean to personalize this, but I'm, I'm telling you with my own two eyes, I saw there was nothing on my son. Nothing. I've never seen. I, I, I looked. I was crushed. My heart was burdened. I didn't have words. My wife was crying. I didn't know what to do. We all of a sudden rushed downtown. After that, now, there's something on my son. I forget this something, but I don't want to say butthole. You know, it's kind of weird. But it's there. Like, miraculous miraculous. Here's the decision you have to make. Is God able to do that or do I want to kill him? Is God able to do that or would I rather reject that just because I want to keep my comfortable kingdom that I have going on here? Let's continue the narrative. John 11, 53 through 54. So from that time on, the Jewish leaders began to plot Jesus' death. Insane! As a result, Jesus stopped his public ministry among the people and left Jerusalem. He went to a place near the wilderness to the village of Ephraim where and stayed there with his disciples. Craig Keener is the world's foremost leading expert and theologian when it comes to the miraculous. He's written a a two-volume set of books, over a thousand pages, called Miracles. He, He goes through every miracle in the account of Jesus, the historicity of it, the scientific evidence of it, the belief in context and the impact on culture that it had. I mean, if you want to spend the next two years of your life leaning into this subject, Craig Keener, Miracles, two-volume set. Here's what he says. After he's a PhD from Duke, he's just, he teaches at Oxford. He's he's incredible. After my conversion from atheism, special divine action fascinated me but I think I was still shy and tentative about it. I was in circles where miracles were often reported, but in the back of my former atheist, skeptical mind, I, used, I, I usually could think of some alternative explanation until eventually the evidence became too overwhelming for me not to be skeptical of my skepticism. Keener goes on to argue throughout the rest of the book. If you don't want to read over a thousand pages on it, here's what it is. He argues for this. You either have one of two choices. You either have a natural worldview or a supernatural worldview, and there's nothing in between. You either believe that God created the world, he sustained the world, and he can intervene into the world and change anything in it when he pleases in whatever way he would like. That is a supernatural worldview. Or you want to kill him. 
You want nothing to do with it. You believe there's no such thing. I'm a full-blown liar. I'm telling stories. There's another explanation for it. There's no chance that could happen for Luke. There's no chance that could happen for people in here. There's absolutely no way. That is what Keener is saying. He says you have the chance to, to, to decide between one of the two, a natural or a supernatural worldview. Here is what a supernatural worldview means. There's one other part to Ezra's story that I think summarizes this so well. Um, When we announced that Ezra possibly had Down syndrome, there was a group of people that came to us and they said, "Um, that is crazy. We know somebody who has the same diagnosis walking through the same situation and we're gonna pray for you as we pray for them. And I was like, man, thank you so much. I'll do the same. It's really easy to pray for people who are going through what you're going through, right? I mean, it's just so much easier to do. It's always on your mind. So we're praying for them. We're believing God for them and we're praying the same prayers and we're we're all just kind of praying and standing with the same God with the same prayers with everything else and then we have this whole thing happen with Ezra and several days later I show up at my house and and one of our sitters was someone who was telling me about this story and it just popped into my mind I was getting close to rush back downtown to the NICU and and I said hey how is uh that couple and the baby doing and they said they had a baby two days ago and didn't make it home from the hospital and I was crushed I was so devastated. And then I got in my truck and I rode downtown. I parked at the NICU. I went up in the NICU and it was like late at night. It was like midnight, one o'clock in the morning. I'm just sitting there and I have my, my face in my hands and I'm saying, Lord, none of this makes sense. None of this makes sense. We're praying to the same God. We have the same diagnosis. We're believing God for the same thing. None of this makes sense. I don't know what to do. And in the gentleness of my spirit, I felt the Lord tell me, I am the resurrection and the life. And if you believe in me, even if you die, you will live. That's the only thing that makes sense. That's the only thing that makes sense in mourning. That is the only thing that makes sense in the miraculous. And having a supernatural worldview is not always getting what you want from God. Having a supernatural worldview is saying, whether I am in mourning or I am in the miraculous, I have the resurrection and the life. 